0: This program is brought to you by the partners of Arute Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support Arute Awakening International today.
1: Were sacrifices allowed in places outside of the Temple in Jerusalem? What if I told you there was proof from the Torah that animal sacrifices were indeed sanctioned through the tribes of Israel and not just in the Temple in Jerusalem? But there was one very important condition. Tonight, Steve Siefkin will open your eyes to the truth you've likely never considered. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live.
0: Shabbat Shalom to our fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Tonight's episode is going to blow your mind. In fact, it's probably going to shake up what you thought you knew about the sacrifices and where they were allowed and where they were not allowed in the Bible. It's the fifth and final episode of our fascinating series with Steve Siefkin on the temple system. Another fascinating thing we have here at Rood Awakening is Michael Rood's chronological gospels from which we see that it was this exact day in history that Yeshua harvested grain, well, harvested grain on the Sabbath. And we know that from correlating event number 68 in the Chronological Gospels with the astronomically and agriculturally corrected Biblical Hebrew calendar. Now, please welcome my co-host, the CEO of Root Awakening International,
1: Ted Clayton. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here with us for Shabbat Night Live. And you know, Scott, I think there are times that we forget how important the Chronological Gospels book is because it really tells us the story of uh, Yeshua and all of the happenings around his time in chronological order that has never been put together with any other books the way Michael has put this one together.
0: Right, exactly, and some people might look at this and if they're new to Michael's work, they might say, well, other people have put the Bible in order, what's the big deal? right This is week by week taking all kinds of references together and literally creating a screenplay Yes. Of Yeshua's life, you know, where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—where do they overlap? Where do they yes. not overlap? What are the commonalities? This and what was going on behind the scenes? Why would why would Yeshua say this, or why did the priest do that? Mm-hmm. You know, why why did he spit on the ground? Why did they walk away when the you know the woman who was accused when Yeshua drew in the ground? Yes. What was going on? Absolutely. So Michael answers all of these questions.
1: And and you know here here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Let's say that you have the chronological gospels, okay? You have the Bible, you have it. But what if a friend or relative doesn't have it? Ladies and gentlemen, you could not give a more perfect gift to your friends and family than the chronological gospels. A 40 year love letter to Messiah is what I used (laughs) to always call it of Michael's that he took him over 40 years to compile and put together. Now you could ask yourself why in the world would it take 40 years to put something like this together? If you read the introduction, Of the Chronological Gospels. You, just by reading the introduction of the Chronological Gospels, you will get a better understanding of the Bible than you ever have before. And that's just in the introduction. So imagine what you could get out of the rest of the book.
0: Oh, indeed. Yeah, that's where all the bombs are going off in the the introduction. If you never knew there was anything wrong with the way the Bible is taught these days, you read that and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, your world has just opened up.
1: That's right. So ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, get your copy of the Chronological Gospels for for yourself, for your friends, and for your family. You will not regret it. But... Time is running out for this month's love gift.
0: It is, yeah. We only have about a few days left, mm-hmm. uh, so this is Steve Siefkin. Now, this tonight is his last episode with us, yes. And uh, so, last few days of the love gift he gave us as well. Uh, he gave us a teaching called "Where Does Communion Come From?" Yeah. And uh, this is a gift of fifty dollars or more that you can uh, that we're going to give to you for your gift of fifty dollars or more, and we'll you know give this to you, and it's uh, a perfect gift to give to someone else, right? because it's such a good question, where does communion come from? I mean, it's not the Passover, it's not something new that Yeshua invented, so what right. the heck is this? So, right. you know, it's, it's a good explanation that Steve gives, and that is for a gift of $50 or more, and we also have some other gifts here. For $100 or more, we'll get the uh, the tote bag and the stainless steel water bottle with mm-hmm. the name of Yeshua on it, and for a gift of $300 or more, we also have this uh, beautiful uh, sailboat sculpture with a yes. uh, verse from Proverbs on it. But getting back to what you were saying about the Bible. Yes. Chronological Gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tonight, I, I mentioned earlier that this is the anniversary of when Yeshua was harvesting grain. Yes. And people might yes. say, oh, well, that was just against the law. Then that's no wonder they gave him heck. Well, no, no, no. This was a mis- misinterpretation by the Pharisees of what harvesting was. Yeah. All Yeshua and his disciples were doing was going through the, the wheat fields and grinding grain. Yes, yes. And by grinding grain in your hand, they said, oh, that's harvesting. Yeah, and then you know by by chewing it, oh now now you're uh, now you're grinding milling it. Yeah, you're now milling, you're milling. Mm-hmm. and it's like this this is so backwards from what. Yeah, the, and in fact, here's the thing that Michael brings out. which you were mentioning is so important is that the extra notes Michael gives. Yes, that by giving people heck and preventing them from doing that, the Pharisees were actually breaking the Torah. Yes, Because the Torah allowed people to go on the edges of the field and glean. The poor people were allowed to go glean. So if you were hungry on the
1: Shabbat, now you can't do that because the Pharisees say you're, you're harvesting by doing right. this? Absolutely. You know, I'm going yeah. to channel Michael for just a moment when I say, don't believe in the Takenot of the Pharisees. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, yeah. don't believe in what's, what man says. Believe in what the Bible says. And, and don't believe in the interpretations of man. Believe in what the literal... Meaning of the Bible is. Yep. And it goes back to show us how much error can be put in when man gets involved. And indeed, it. yeah. And that's, and that's where, you know,
0: we, and the, the assumptions we make too. So the, the Pharisees made assumptions. Right. And now, you know, what Steve is bringing out tonight really blew my mind. When, when we did this interview, of course, this yeah. was a pre taped interview. Sure. But it, it, it blew my mind because you often think, okay, well, everybody went up to the, the temple to give their sacrifices. Well, no, no. Yeah. There was a system and there were sacrifices outside the temple. And people might go, oh, how can you say that? Right. But when Steve explains it tonight, trust me, when you watch it tonight, you'll say, oh my goodness, how come I didn't see this before? That's the sure. way I was sitting beside him as he was teaching this. Sure. It's
1: such a great teaching tonight. Well, I will do like Michael said call your family, call your friends, call your neighbors, have them come (laughs) on right now and watch this wonderful teaching from Steve because you're just not gonna wanna miss this, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely, well, let's get into it then. All right, so hang on to your holocaust tonight. Animal sacrifices were
0: indeed sanctioned throughout the tribes of Israel, not just in the temple in Jerusalem, it's true. Steve Siefkin opens our eyes and slays a few sacred cows, if you will. You may need something for this one. So get your bread and wine before we come back. Michael's next with the Kiddush. Communion was not something new that our Messiah invented, nor is communion the Passover. So what is it?
2: The disciples ask the Messiah, where shall we go to prepare
1: the
0: the Passover?
2: (laughs) He's talking about the preparation day. So that's where communion is, that's what the Lord's Supper is, is the preparation day.
0: Steve Stefkin presents, Where Does Communion Come From? A step-by-step examination of ancient cultures, scripture references, and extra-biblical texts that will give you a refreshing perspective on what communion is and what it's not. Where Does Communion Come From is our gift to thank you for supporting A Rood Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in July, we'll send you Where Does Communion Come From? with Steve Siefkin on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you Where Does Communion Come From? Plus, a matching tote bag and stainless steel water bottle set bearing the name of Yeshua in both English and Hebrew. Donate $300 and we'll send you the teaching, the tote bag and stainless steel water bottle set, plus a tabletop sculpture of a sailboat engraved with a scripture verse from Proverbs chapter three. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rood Awakening International only in July. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world, putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the -the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when he did it, and why The timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes. The larger print edition features 40% larger type, and every page appears exactly the same as the original. So you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition also has wider margins to write notes, and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the larger print edition lies flat so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book measuring a full 12 inches tall and nine inches
3: wide. Study the Bible with clarity and ease I love the size of this book. This is nine by 12. The paper is is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version and I can just stand back and I can teach from it and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the
0: Chronological Gospels larger print edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887. Or get the Chronological Gospels Bible larger print edition online at arudawakening.tv large.
3: The night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took bread and he blessed the Most High, atah, Yehovah, Elaho, Mi and he said, "This represents my body, which will be broken for you. As often as you do it from now on, understand this has always represented my broken body. And often as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of what I'm about to do for you. Then he took his cup, and he told his disciples, after he blessed it, after he blessed the Most High, and he said, Baruch Atah Yehovah, Elohim, Melaka Alam, pre Prihagafin. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth and has created the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, you divide my cup of Among yourselves. And as he passed his cup around and they poured a bit of his into their cups, it got back to him empty. And he said, I will not drink a drop of the fruit of the vine till I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. But as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Not only that I will pay for the broken covenant, that I will pay for the transgression, that I will renew the covenant in my blood. But also remember that I am waiting for you at the marriage Supper of the Lamb, and that is when I will drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Until then, Shabbat Shalom.
0: Well, today you are in for a treat. We are gonna wrap all of this up today. Four episodes previously with Steve Siefkin. We've come back to uh, look over all of it and come up with a conclusion today. So Steve, thanks again for sticking around and uh, blessing us with episode number five, which is always a treat for us. We usually have four
2: or so, but uh, five's great. So uh, l- just go ahead. Well, it's great to be here. And like I said, this is my favorite topic. i just a big fan of the Levitical priesthood. And people ask me all the time, what's your favorite book? And when I say Leviticus, they give me strange (laughs) looks like, what are you talking about? But it really is. It's it's answered so many questions that, Mm. just difficult questions that now you have like a really good answer for. And, you know, people who are unbelievers will say, well, why would you do this crazy stuff? It's like, well, it makes sense this way. It really, really does. Right. We've kind of gone through the offerings and stuff like that. And the people who... Uh, administer and run this whole system for the priesthood. And I kind of want to connect the priesthood and the offerings together and show um, just how the whole nation did this. And uh, I want to focus on a few verses that we just kind of read over and not realize what's being said because uh, it's fascinating like, wow. That totally opens the door for something most people don't realize. Okay. And I would like to do that. So, All right. Well, we like learning, learning new stuff here on Shabbat Night Live, so go ahead. So here it is, the tabernacle and temple. Um, remember, the government, the government of Israel consists of the Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood. Now, I'm using those terms. The Bible calls them the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, as the Aaronic priesthood, and just the Levites. I like to use the term Le- Levitical priesthood for the Levites, Because they were a priesthood also, just to a lesser degree. And it helps clarify things in my mind. So I understand the terms I'm going to use are not exactly correct. But um, you'll see what I mean. It helps to understand? I think it helps to understand. It really helps me. And I hope people don't have too much of a problem with that. The Levites are typically just called the Levites. And, uh, but I, I'm distinguishing between really three priesthoods, but we'll see that in the first slide. So Moses built a priesthood, right? Exodus 18, we went over that, rulers of, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. The priest of Midian, Jethro, mm-hmm. helped him set this up. It's a priesthood. Uh, originally, this was the elders of Israel, though. And sometimes we, we we neglect to see that. It was the elders of Israel, because in Exodus 18, that's the only people there hmm. were the elders of Israel. It's like the founding fathers of America. Yes.
3: Right?
2: Moses called all the elders together. They came and they ate a meal. And then he built a priesthood. This is Exodus 18, 12. The verses I just had up there were just a few verses hmm. later. So he built this priesthood that Jethro recommended straight from the elders of Israel. Then later... God changed this to the Levites. Numbers 3, 12 says, and behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of all the firstborn. Hmm. Okay, so an eldership and a Levitical priesthood are kind of the same thing. What's the New Testament have? An eldership. Hmm. And they're called a priesthood after a different order. Well, an eldership would be after a different order because it's not Levites. Right. So it, it, it really starts to come together when you start to look at it this way. And then God told Moses, build a tabernacle, right? So he built this tabernacle for this priesthood to function in and enforce God's law and regulate their food and do all the things we've spoken about so far. They were a hospital, the CDC, they ratified contracts and they, they did everything that we just discussed for the past four episodes. Uh, he made a priesthood It was the Aaronic priesthood that comes from Aaron. The Levitical priesthood comes from Levi, all the rest of the family of Levi. And then there's a high priesthood. So there's really three. Mm. The high priest is kind of a a different priesthood, much smaller. So basically there's this guy named Levi who had three sons, Gerson, Kohath, and Merari. Kohath had Amram who had Aaron. The Aaronic priesthood is all the descendants of Aaron. The Levitical priesthood are the rest of the tribes of, the, of Levi. Just from this, you can tell which group's going to be bigger.
3: Mm.
2: It's quite obvious. The, the Levitical priesthood, the Levites, are going to be a much larger group, much more families to start it. Right. And it makes sense because they're spread throughout a bigger area. So this was a dual judicial system. The Aaronic priesthood would be the higher courts. We just call that a federal court system today. The Levitical priesthood or the lower courts, we call it our state courts. We do the same system. We built the exact same system. They're just not Levites. Right. Hmm. And we get stuck on that for some reason. That's why I'm so, so much a big proponent of the spirit of the law, understanding God's intent behind what he said. And uh, once we narrow that out, some of this stuff becomes okay. Like, like it's, it's not that big of a deal. So there's the tabernacle. That's just an outline. The high priest served in the Holy of Holies. That was his pretty much primary job. No one else could do it, just him. The Aaronic priesthood served in the holy place. And the Levites served in the outer court. And all of these tiered down. There were, in the New Testament, chief priests. They teared down from the high priests. Mm. And there were Aaronic priests and Levites also. So this tabernacle basically started out with a whole bunch of tents around it, and it's the little city of Jerusalem. Itty-bitty city, just tents, not much going on. And they probably did all of their sacrifices and the whole system there. But as they grew, this tabernacle became very, very small. Really small. And there's just no way it could meet the needs of this whole nation as it grew. And God gave us you know, a way to deal with that. But he told us, you know, what man soever there be of the house of Israel that kills an ox or a lamb and brings it not to the door of the tabernacle shall be cut off. A few verses later he said the same thing about sacrifices. So he said the word for kill and for sacrifice. But today we don't feel guilty eating meat, but none of us bring our meat to be offered or sacrificed at a tabernacle. Right. But we eat meat. <laughs> Why is that okay? Why would this not bar us from doing that? It's just because we misunderstand Deuteronomy 12. How would this work? The size of the tabernacle could not accommodate this. It just was not big enough to meet the needs of this entire nation. The likelihood that all vows could be initiated at the central sanctuary is incredibly low. Not only do vows relate to the tithe, but other types of vows and oaths, e.g. for business transactions or legal cases, were a pragmatic necessity. Mm. That's uh, James will- James Douglas Wills. Yeah, I'm, my contacts aren't as good That's as okay. my I got new glasses, so we're all good. <laughs> but um, it, most scholars will tell you there's just no way. And look what he said. For vows and oaths, for business transactions, legal proceedings, mm. everything we've talked about. This is what scholars say. And what I find interesting, scholars will do this brilliant work, and oftentimes when they conclude, they go right to religion. Mm. And I'm always wondering why. Why do we do all this nation stuff and then conclude with religion? It, it, it just, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's for nations. It's for America to learn how to be a better America. Right. And that's really what it's all about. Not for our religious system to get better. So, Just traveling distances in some cases were impossible. That's why. Those are the three main routes to Jerusalem. If you're up there at Asher or Naphtali, it's not gonna be an easy trip down to Jerusalem. Just look at the traveling distance. It's over 100 miles at the farthest point. For you can tell tell America's much bigger than Israel was, at least on this map. One person travel would probably take a week. Yep. But if it's a pilgrimage travel to a feast, you're talking entire extended families, Camels, carts, tithes, offerings, children, it's not going to be a week. right? Probably two weeks. Two weeks there, two weeks back, a week or two festival, that's six weeks, three times a year. God expects you to commit 18 weeks or more because people traveled from outside of Jerusalem mm-hmm. too. Three times a year? How are you going to work? Yeah. How do you support your family? That's interesting. How do you accomplish any of this? And most people would stay from Passover to Pentecost because they were kind of close. Yeah, why would you go home maybe two Why would you go home yeah. if it took two weeks if you got to come back? Yeah. If you were local, yeah, maybe.
0: Well, you think about that, 100 miles, and if you travel with camels and all of that stuff, you're going to be going
2: two, three miles per hour? Yeah. Well, that's, what, 33 hours yeah. of travel. P- people have estimated, and th- that's why I put up what I said, about a week, one person, maybe a backpacker, just a cart, they had little one-person carts. Yeah. You could probably get it in a week. But when you're talking about your whole pilgrimage, bringing your tithes and offerings and your whole family, like the Bible describes, it's too, it becomes impossible really quick. Right. It really, really does. And we, we need to accept that and just recognize we, we want to hang on to this only in Jerusalem thing. And that really is kind of worshiping Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm not saying Jerusalem's God's city, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not, not saying that. But it's the top of a system that he's building for the whole world hmm. in, in, in the millennium. Every nation's gonna go. How is that possible? Right.
0: Well, even, even look at our, so we bring this to America. Washington, D.C., everyone shall ride a bicycle to Washington, D.C. Yeah. for 4th of July. How's that gonna work? It ain't gonna
2: work. It's just not gonna <laughs> yeah, work. Right. So God was going to enlarge Israel's borders and Deuteronomy 12 gives us the answer and he just straight out says it. He says, take heed to yourself that you forsake not the Levite as long as you live upon the earth. When Yehovah, your God, shall enlarge your border as he has promised you, and you shall say, I will eat flesh because your soul longs to eat flesh. You, ate, you may eat flesh whatsoever your soul lusts after. See that phrase, whatsoever your soul lusts after? That is a tithing phrase. It's only used for the tithing system. Hmm. That's a very specific phrase. Deuteronomy 14 uses it. Deuteronomy 12, it's a tithing phrase. Whatsoever your soul lusts after is what you can spend your tithe on. Hmm. Okay, so he's talking about tithing here. Well, obviously he's talking about going to Jerusalem. If the place which Jehovah your God has chosen to put his name there be too far from you, then you shall kill. That's the word for sacrifice, but it's translated as kill for some reason. Hmm. Almost the only spot is translated as kill. But it's the word for sacrifice. You shall kill of your herd and of your flock, which Jehovah has given you, as I have commanded you. And you shall eat, where? In your gates. In your gates, whatsoever your soul lusts
0: after. So this is allowing sacrifice outside of Jerusalem.
2: We've we've got to stop thinking. Just the practicalness of trying to do it in Jerusalem is impossible. Hmm. And when you see it this way and start placing the pieces It really fits, but if the gate of the city doesn't tear up to Jerusalem, that's no longer a Yehovah sacrificial system. It's not part of the system anymore. That's why they were told to tear down the high places and the altars, because they weren't doing that. But the ones that were, I mean, we're
0: actually gonna look at some of those verses. So if it's not properly represented, it's it's not a representation of the uh, temple in Jerusalem, then it's not sanctioned.
2: Yes. And uh, probably a way of looking at it is when it says only at the tabernacle, it's really under the power and authority of the tabernacle.
1: Ah, think of it that way. way. That's good.
2: Not just like oh, it has to be there because the. Let's just be real. We don't. I mean, we don't look like we're thinking straight when we say that because it's just not possible. Anyone who really puts two and two together is going to say that can't happen. There's just no way. I think they estimate like two million, two and a half million out of the Exodus. Right. Well, we have an Exodus 12. The answer is sitting right in front of our vision. Yeah, it, it, it really is. The only difference is a few verses later is only your holy things which you have and your vows you shall take and go into the place which Yehovah shall choose. Um, and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and your sacrifice and everything. So this is a tiered system and, and we'll see that in just a minute. When the land was divided to all the tribes, you can see it on the map there, they were spread out. The Levites were given cities. Those red dots are Levitical cities. The blue dots are the Aaronic cities. Command the children of Israel that they give unto the Levites of the inheritance of their possession, cities to dwell in. Okay, so they had 48 cities spread throughout the land. These Levites joined the other tribes. They became the elders of that tribe. They were Mm. the priesthood of that tribe and they represented them. God built a representative government, and they represented them to Jerusalem. If they didn't, that's when they were breaking that command. Hmm. So the Levites were within each tribe's gates. It, it just says exactly what I'm saying. All over, all over the place in the Bible, and the Levite that is within your gate, and the Levite that is within your gate. You're not to forsake the Levite that is within your gate. These Levites were within each tribe's gates. Right. All their cities had Levites, run in their local government. And how often do we think of that? <laughs> we, just we, don't, we just glaze over it. Scholars point it out all the time. Hmm. I don't know why we're missing it when it comes to church and just you know typical Bible teachers. I, I think it's right. incredibly important. Um, the altars of earth. This is the verse we've kind of we talked about. Look at Exodus 20, 24. This is right after the 10 commandments, right after Exodus 19, which basically starts the covenant. An altar of earth you shall make unto me, and shall sacrifice thereon your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In all places, plural, where I record my name, I will come unto you and I will bless you. Hmm. How is that plural if it's only in Jerusalem? In all the places where I record my name. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to do it in more than one place. He has to, by yeah. <laughs> I mean, just by what you've presented. It, it's just not possible any other way. So that altar of earth. Oh, and here's some examples. Um, this is, uh, Elijah and he said, I have been very jealous for Yehovah God of hosts for the children of Israel forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altars, plural. How many altars did he have? I thought it was just the brazen altar in the temple. Hmm. He's talking about the lower court system spread throughout the land. The people were rejecting going up to the temple. It so, wasn't everybody going, it was their representatives going.
0: So the place where Jehovah says, I record my name, so that means that's where there's a, a Levitical represent, represent, yeah. uh, representative.
2: He recorded his name in Jerusalem, but that tears to any city that wants to join Jerusalem. Hmm. In, any city, not just in Jerusalem, Philo did it. He was in Alexandria,
0: so you're doing it in Jehovah's name <laughs> yes. through the priesthood that he had
2: established. Yeah, and I'm going to show you the New Testament doing it too. Ooh. Paul, Paul. Paul describes it for us and we just gloss right over and don't see it. So the, thrown down thine altars, it's plural. These altars were in the gates of the city. All those altars, those red dots had a gate of the city. And here, there's verses to point this out. And he brought, and this is a negative one towards it, but he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and break down the high places of the gates. What were at the high places? Altars. Hmm. That's, where, what, that's what they were. The, the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of Yehovah. That's, that's the whole point here. that it needs to go to, te- uh, to the temple. Even in the New Testament, now this is obviously not the Jerusalem temple, but the priests of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice. There was an altar in the gates of the city. This is just how mm-hmm. cities functioned. You had a walled city and the gate is where they did all public business. And that's what a sacrificial system is. We just saw it. I tried to explain it as thorough as I could. So picture the city hall as the gate. Yes. And then there's an altar there. Yes. You would have the farmers on the outskirts, the suburbs. They'd bring their products to the gates. They'd butcher them and approve them and send them to the markets and to the city. Hmm. Just how ancient cities worked. I mean, you make it makes sense when you think about it. It really does. Yeah. Not everybody. I I made a comment earlier, a few episodes ago. I think you know, we we call Israel an agricultural society as if we're not. It's like, well, we eat food, don't we? We have to be an agricultural <laughs> right. society. It it was different. Yeah, they did their agriculture different. Not everybody grew farm, had farms, and had animals. They had walled cities where most of the people lived, Hmm. and the farmers were out in the suburbs and brought it into the city. I mean, that's just the way it works. So it's not a whole lot different than what we're doing. Well, Yeshua was not a farmer. He was a carpenter. Yes, exactly. There's a great example. I wish I would have thought about that. (laughs) Uh, The high places were in the gates of the city, and they did sacrifices there. Hmm. But it wasn't sacrifices like, when you get rid of the religion, it's not a problem when you put it as food regulation and notarizing contracts and just fines and penalties, you think differently about it. It becomes a little easier to accept, I think. Right. This government was funded by tithing. Mm. The tithe of the tithe. And we might need to get to this because I think we're running out of time. But um, the tithe of the tithe, the Levites would receive the tithe And a 10th part of the tithe would go to Jerusalem. So this is how the system worked. That's what the tithe of the tithe is. That's what God meant by that. Everybody would tithe to their Levites and the Levites would tithe to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Not everybody went to Jerusalem. Rich people probably did. They could probably afford to travel. But your regular everyday average commoners probably couldn't afford to go. Just look how much time they'd have to give up. Right. But it was the biggest party by, de- by No doubt. It was the biggest party in Israel.
0: Well, hang on to that. We're going to come back and do some more. All right. So we'll be back in just a second. Thank you for bringing Steve here. You brought him here with your, speaking of tithes and offerings, <laughs> through your tithes and offerings. That's how this ministry works. And it's how we work into the future. Other people are going to see this thanks to you. So thank you for doing it. We'll be right back. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. And speaking of support, that's what we were talking about right before the break. We were talking about the tithe of the tithe that would, be, would basically support this, uh, this tiered system all the way back up to Jerusalem.
2: Yes, it's, it's, it's something that I think is just critical in understanding how Israel functioned. And, um, you know, I didn't mention it, but there's really three tithes. There's a tithe that pays for government services, a tithe that pays for your holy days, and then a tithe that pays for um, the widows and the orphans. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a welfare system. And then those tithes tear up to Jerusalem. That's called the tithe of the tithe. And the Levites, they would take all the tithes from the people. I have this map up there of the Levites taking a uh, showing they're, they're in the gates of the cities. They're spread throughout Jerusalem, throughout Israel, and the Aaronic priesthood is spread throughout Jerusalem in that area, and they would receive their tithes there, and then they would tithe of their tithe to Jerusalem.
0: So Jerusalem gets one percent.
2: No, they get 10, well. Yeah, they get ten percent of, of 10% the whole percent. country. Yeah, but that's why I pointed out which is the bigger priesthood. The Levites are much bigger, mm-hmm. just by sheer numbers. They need more the Aaronic priesthood is much smaller. Hmm. And um, this it's just a tiered system that runs the whole nation. And um, I don't know, I was fascinated to study it and learn it. I just think it's just interesting how God just expands for growth. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the Messiah does in the millennium and how he makes it work. Because that's just fascinating to me that we actually think everyone's going to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, Zechariah says. Hmm. How is that possible when you're talking about a whole planet? Hmm. Yeah. I just don't I just don't see it. Unless there's a lot less people, I don't I don't see how that's possible. So either God's gonna have to do a miracle every time, or it's a representation. You know, um the last four four part series I did, I mentioned how God's government is a representative government. It's a constitutional republic. That's what Moses set up. And we do the same thing. It's, it's a represent, they represent mm-hmm. the people and they're going to represent the people. We could do it here in America. We, we actually kind of do. Well, and we we're told that we will be uh, judges
0: in the end yeah. times. So there you go. That's
2: what we're living this life for. Yeah. I don't know. It's not our decision, but God's going to give us a place in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I want to live my life today to be in that kingdom and be something in that kingdom. I want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I don't want to go in there disappointed. Right. Not that it sounds weird to say disappointed, but the truth is it's it's not a level playing field. It right. just isn't. That's right. And, you know, the way we live our life now, we're saved by grace, no doubt. But the way we live our life now affects our eternity. And it's it's just what the scripture teaches. And sometimes we neglect that. But back to the tithe of the tithe. I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. But they were to the tithe of the tithe. So the Levites got the tithe and then a tenth of that went to the Aaronic priesthood. This is why I like to call it a Levitical priesthood, Aaronic priesthood, high priesthood. It helps me mm-hmm. clarify. It's all part of the same system. They're all doing priestly type functions. And um, it, it's helpful to me. So even a tenth part of the tithe would go to Jerusalem. This is what Malachi was rebuking Israel for. Remember when, this is a very popular verse. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offering. Look who he's talking to. And now, oh, you priests. Mm. He's not talking to commoners. He's not talking about the tithe to the Levites. He's talking about the Levites tithing to Jerusalem. And there are several scholars that point this out. And we totally misuse this verse in sermons today. Right. You know, as if it, it, it's something different than what it's saying. I think the context is very important to understand and, and point out when we're doing this. So Philo, Philo of Alexandria, he he lived in Alexandria. This is what he said. Accordingly, there is in almost every city a storehouse for the sacred things. What are the sacred things? Tithes and offerings, offerings right? Mm-hmm. To which it is customary for the people to come and there to deposit their first fruits. First fruits was a common term for all the tithes and everything you'd bring. At the time of Philo, he used it all the time to just mean all the offerings you'd bring on the holy days. Uh, And at certain seasons, what's a season? A moed. Mm -hmm. Certain times of the year, seasons, moeds, there are sacred ambassadors selected on account of their virtue who convey the offerings to the temple. So he's talking about the sacrificial system. From Alexandria. Hmm. And and the most eminent men of each tribe are elected to this office that they may conduct the hopes of each individual safe to their destination for in the lawful offering of the first fruits are the hopes of the pious. Alexandria is like 800 miles away from Jerusalem. Hmm. This is quite a trip. You're talking months. There's no way God could expect everybody to, but they wanted to and they did it. But they sent ambassadors to represent everybody. Hmm. You see what he's saying? They picked certain people at certain seasons. Ambassadors selected on account of their virtue.
0: And to convey to the in. offerings of the t- to the temple. Because it's
2: just not possible. Hmm. This is what Deuteronomy 12 is about. And we read about it in Philo. But well, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Corinth was about 800 miles away from Jerusalem too. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 through, eight and, one through four and verse 8. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given order to the churches in Galatia. So it wasn't just, it was every church that did this. Even so do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, a storehouse. As God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters. Ambassadors travel by a letter of credential to this day. This is an ambassador, just like mm. Philo said, an ambassador. So they pick people for certain times to uh, lay by a storehouse. Look how, con- how similar this is to what Philo is saying. Them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. And look at verse eight. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. This is the Pentecost offering. Mm. Paul's telling the churches who are too far how to do their offering. Interesting.
0: Never seen it. And when
2: well, when you compare it to what Philo said, he's saying the same thing in just a slightly different way. You've got a storehouse from Philo. Lay them by in store. That's a storehouse, right? You have uh, ambassadors conveying uh, the the portion to um, the offering approved by your letters. Ambassadors travel with a, a letter of credential. Right. They did then and they do today.
0: This is our approved representative. Yes.
2: Them yeah. will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Well, these are the offerings. And Pentecost tells you which offering it's for, which time of the year it is. Hmm. Three times a year you to go. That's one of them. So Paul hmm. taught the churches how to do this and they did it. And we don't see it. But when you read like some of the other, some of the writings at the time of the Messiah are just amazing. Philo, I'm not a big fan of his scriptural interpretation, but he has so many nuggets for how they did things. Hmm. So many just writings that are just gems that you go, wow, look at that. This is what Paul was talking about. This is one of them. And even Peter says, you know, (laughs) Paul's kind of hard to understand. So read it it over and over. Yeah, well, it's helpful to see someone else, even though it's secular, you know, writing about this. So America does this same system today. You see how the Levites spread throughout the land. Mm-hmm. They're the lower court system and the Aaronic priesthood. We, we just, we have an Aaronic priesthood. We just call it a federal judiciary. Mm-hmm. We had it spread throughout America. The same system we built. You can appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court from anywhere in there in the federal judiciary. We do it a little differently, but not but not that different. We also have a Levitical priesthood. We call them state courts. You can appeal all the way up to that highest court, their Supreme Court, from each state. We have a Levitical priesthood and an Aaronic priesthood here in America. Hmm. I know, they're not Levites. I get that. I'm not trying to say that. It's not the exact same system. But we built a similar system here in America. And I just find it fascinating. I just... That is fascinating yeah
0: it's, it's interesting how it's built all the same way uh, and it all just tears up to one location yeah
2: I, I well obviously Moses got it from Jethro who was a priest of Midian so it wasn't uncommon. Hmm. I think it the, the real key is which law are we practicing the temple made several changes. I mean David had eight courses for his priesthood and Solomon went to 24. Hmm. something like that Is that okay? Well they grew. Right. Why can't we change things to meet the needs of our growth as long as we still keep God's law? That's the key. Hmm. And we have to recognize that. It really just having an open mind and thinking it through and you say, oh, this is okay. And, uh, and I'm not saying America's got it all right because we don't. <laughs> we clearly don't. But we started off doing it pretty right. And we, I think there's a way to fix it. I really, really do. So the spirit of the law for today. Look at the temple advancements. We've talked about this a lot. The tabernacle was for a small civilization on the move, right? Moses built the tabernacle. They were a nomadic society and they built it. But then Solomon's temple was for a permanent civilization settled in the land. Now we moved up to a a temple. The bronze altar, we mentioned that change. There's Mm -hmm. lots of changes that were made. Each temple advanced even more and more. That's all okay. God does not have a problem with that. The temple had many chambers off to the side. For these Levites, the four chief porters, were in their set office and were over the chambers and treasuries of the house of God. So there were chambers off to the side and treasuries and storehouses to the side of the temple. It also had many high places spread throughout the land. These high places were the gates of the city. We always assume these high places were all pagan, but they weren't, and I already showed you this. Pluck down their high places, yes, that's what the scripture says. But many were righteous. Samuel judged Israel all of his days, and he went from year to year in circuit, from Bethel to Gilgal, Mizbah, and judged Israel in all those places. Hmm. Did he bring the tabernacle with him in one year to all those places? No. <laughs> well, what was he doing then? <laughs> And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar Mm. unto Yehovah. Mm. Sure sounds like he's doing sacrifices outside of Jerusalem. As long as it tears up to Jerusalem, it's okay. Interesting. That's the key, and we're missing a lot of this in the Scripture. We're just, I don't know, I don't know. The sacrificial system is very, it's not studied enough. It might be the biggest topic in all the Scripture, Hmm. And when you really think of everything about it, tithing, the head tax, the first fruits, you just they put every topic together. It, it, it's like the first four commandments. Remember when I put up that mm-hmm. chart? It's the bulk of the scripture. It might be the biggest topic in the scripture. I've never really tried to, to figure that out. But Elijah said, oh, he lamented that they'd thrown down God's altars. Twice he said it. They've thrown down your altars, plural. There is a Bema seat at the high places. There's a Bema seat in our synagogues today. And there's a judge's seat. These are the same seat. A Bema seat is just a seat of judgment. That's pretty much what it's for. These high places turned into what we call synagogues. That's what they were at the time of the Messiah. Look what, (laughs) the, the hints are everywhere. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, these are rulers. I thought it was a religious institution. Right. They're take, going to judge you there. Take you to court. They're taking you to court. We presuppose that onto the scripture because the synagogue is a religious institute today. So we read that and hmm. that's what we see. But that's really, I don't think that's what it is. I think it was uh, a judicial branch of that location. And uh, sure, on the Sabbath, they taught the scriptures. Because that's the way our Sabbaths could work. Can you imagine if we had a Sabbath in America and our judges would teach the law, how how God's law applies in America and where we're going wrong and just teach the people so they could be legal experts Hmm. and know what's going on? You know how much better America would be if we did that for the Sabbath? I mean, we used to do a Sabbath on, on Sunday. We had the blue laws and everybody, at least the only game in town was going to church. Nothing right. else was open. Right. And all you could do was learn the Bible and we were better off, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were better off. It wasn't quite right, but we were better off. I wanted, we should just try and move ourselves back as close to what God commanded as we can get. It's never gonna be perfect, but that's what we need to do. The United States has a temple. We call it the Supreme Court. It has many chambers off to the sides. We call them judges' chambers to this very day. It has many high places. We just call it the appellate court system. Mm. Same system. Deuteronomy 12 allows for this. We already went over that. Our job in America is to follow Jehovah's example and do it the way he said. These are some of my favorite. I love this picture. Um, I made it just to prove a point. Mm. I'm not very good at graphics, but I <laughs> find ways to cheat, but there's a veil in the front and a veil in the back, mm. right? That's how his court system was built. Look at our Supreme Court.
0: Mm. Veil in
2: the front, veil in the back. Where do you think we got that from? We may not realize it now, but where do we get it from? It's even the right color. Hmm. The, the purples and blues were all the the, 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 the reds all the way to blues were all the same colorist, same scriptural word. This I find very interesting. This is our Supreme Court government page. The Supreme Court building America's temple I'm of Jeff. justice. And how many people would actually take offense to that word, not understanding the,
0: you know, the the history
2: of we it? We read right over that and don't think anything of it. Sure. I was, I've read right over it probably a bunch, but I just, was just looking. I was like, oh my goodness, it calls it a temple. Hmm. Our own government page calls it a temple, and I thought that was just amazing. The holy place versus holy of holies. There's a difference. The holy place is for our sins against each other. The sin offering was a fine. The trespass offering was a fine with punitive damages. But the Holy of Holies was different. It was for our sins against Yehovah. That's why all the blood was put before the veil. The Day of Atonement, it was wiped clean. It was the the, the release is what it's called. Made atonement for the sanctuary. It was the removal of sins. The New Testament calls this remission of sins. Look what the Bible says about our Messiah. Over and over again, it says, for the remission of sins. Hmm. You know where that word is found in the Greek Septuagint? Leviticus Leviticus 16. Hmm. The Day of Atonement offerings. This scapegoat offering. That's the offering our Messiah did. He literally did that one. That one Hmm. pictured it. And Hebrews just says it. So some definitions. Remission means freedom, pardon. 17 times in the New Testament referring to the work of the Messiah. 44 times in the Old Testament. Only once is it used for the sacrificial system. Leviticus 16.26, the Day of Atonement. It's for the Azazel, hmm. the scapegoat. Only time is used for the sacrificial system. Do You think our New Testament writers knew that? Do you think they knew which sacrifice they were talking about? This word is not used for any other offering other than the scapegoat. Huh. Look at this one. Whom God has set for propitiation. Look that word up in Strong's. It's the same word for mercy seat. He's our propitiation. It's not the sin offering or trespass offering. It's an offering for that specific thing. All year long, they would be going to the temple and being convicted and blood. Their pleadings were found guilty. The day of atonement Wiped it away clean. They expunged everybody's record. Hmm. What our Messiah did was he got rid of the sin problem. But he didn't get rid of our sins against each other because if I steal your car, don't I have to pay you back? I can't say Jesus made us. He forgave me, so we're good, right? No, I still have to pay my sins against you back right? because it would be wrong otherwise. And the Bible fully supports that. That's the holy place, the outer temple. The Holy of Holies is unique. That's what Hebrews is talking about. The veil to the Holy of Holies was torn. God's telling us, he's given us all the hints. Not to the holy place, to the Holy of Holies. The holy place Hmm. is for our sins against each other. The Holy of Holies is our sins against God. Well, our sins against each other are also against God. Don't get me wrong. But that's where the Messiah wiped it all clean. And behold, the veil was torn in the naus. The word naus is a specific term, not for the whole temple, but for that holy holy, holy of holies where the shrine is. Mm-hmm. Hieron is the Greek word for the whole temple. So everywhere it says that. And even in um, the, this veil was torn from top to bottom, Hebrews 9, 8 through 10, the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. That's what the Messiah did. It's the holiest of all, which was a shadow for them. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of the Messiah, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. What did the Messiah accomplish? Going through that veil. You see see the difference Mm -hmm. I'm making? The temple is for today. The Holy of Holies was brought up to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand right now. We don't need that anymore, but we still need a judicial system. We still need to run our government. The rest of it still applies, doesn't it? It does. It yeah. really does when you look at it. Yeah. Steve, thank
0: you very much. Appreciate you coming and presenting this to us. Uh, again, where can people find more of your videos? I know you have a, a YouTube channel and other things. So uh, where, where's the best place to learn of your stuff?
2: I have a website called answerethematter.org. It's based on Proverbs eighteen thirteen. 13. Uh, he who answers a matter before he hears it is Folly and Shame unto him and I do have a YouTube channel under the same name Okay. so you can go there anytime you want I'd love it if you did so alright great again thanks for joining us appreciate it thanks for coming all the sure. way from California it's
0: been a pleasure and thank you for coming to us from wherever you're coming to tonight so thank you very much for watching Shabbat Night Live and uh, we'll join you next week for another episode until then Shabbat Shalom